And also, go ahead and tell you, um, thank you so much for coming tonight. And if you are a guest, and I don't think anybody is, I'm looking around, but um, you know, we practice open communion here. And that simply means this. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of where your membership might be, if you are a part of the body of Christ, then we certainly invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us tonight. So I'll let you have that thought also. So, okay, here we go. So um, 72 years ago in eight days. So 72 years in eight days, something very monumental occurred. And that was the attack on Pearl Harbor. It happened on December the 7th, 1941. And, of course, it was a surprise attack. Uh, everything was saying the Japanese were going to do something. And we, I guess, might say, you know, you think intelligent failures are, are new to the game. It's not. Um, everything is said that Japan was going to do something, and we missed it. And uh, almost 3,000 people died uh, that day. And, of course, um, Roosevelt said that would be a day that lived in infamy. And, by the way, I think it's ironic because, really, most people don't think of it already. It's kind of been so long that people don't think, but I have to admit that I did think of it that day. Um, you know, I usually do December the 7th. But what happened on December the 7th in the afternoon or even the first morning after, even as details were still coming in, I promise you this, somewhere in the American government, somewhere the elected officials, somewhere the military, wheels were already turning to say, okay, Japan has declared war on us. How are we going to declare war on them and win the victory? I mean, it didn't, take, it didn't take two weeks for them to figure that out. It did not take a month for them to say, gee, you think we ought to do something about this? Because of the, of the, the vast effect of the great attack, instantly plans were made for the victory. And I've got one better than that. Before the foundation of the world was laid, God was making a plan that you and I could be redeemed. He, he didn't wait until Genesis chapter 3 to declare war and declare victory through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't wait till Genesis 3 before the foundation of the world. In fact, the, the Bible says, behold, the Lamb of God that, that was slain before the foundation of the world. Already, Jesus Christ was slain looking forward before the first mountain was formed. That's how wonderful our God is. It's a wonderful, wonderful plan that he had to redeem this world. And I can't say it enough, guys. That's why. Judy, you said it. Yes, there are lost people in Harrisburg. And uh, again, a family fixed in the face of death, unless God intervenes with Austin Weatherly, 16 years old. And they're saying now he probably won't make it. And imagine that. This time of the year, not to mention a 16-year-old son or grandson passing about how hard that is. There, there are hurting people and there are lost people not only here but around this world. And that's why that's why the, the, what we do here as a church locally and what we do through Annie Armstrong and Lonnie Moon and, and, the, and the Mother's Day offering, all those different offerings, that's why it's important. That's why it should be a priority in your giving. That's why you should somewhere make it a priority to give. So much, what, 50%, I think, Mike, Matt said, of, of the funding for IMB comes from the Lonnie Moon Christmas offering. Boy, we, we, need make, we need to make that a priority. Because God has this great plan. He has this great news. And the great news can only be great news to the individual if they hear that Jesus Christ loves them and died for them. Incredible. We're going to take our scriptures tonight from Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7. If you want to go and take your Bibles and turn there. Great scripture. A backdoor scripture to the Lord's Supper and to the cross and the crucifixion and also to Christmas season. And, and Paul writes to the Galatians, and the Galatians were struggling with the law. They, they experienced grace and wanted to go back under the law for whatever reason. I 
Of course, we do the same thing today. We got so many people who we think we got to perform. God performance loves us. If we keep the rules, that somehow He'll love us more. And if we don't keep the rules, He loves us less. So we probably have done what the Galatians already were doing. Um, we talk about grace, and then we really don't live like we believe it. But but the Galatian church had gone back to the law, and, and Paul had been speaking about the law and about grace. And here's what he says in Galatians four four, and I think this is New King James. He says, "But when the fullness of time." Had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now, understanding that the plan was made before the foundation of the world was laid. Before the first sin was sin, the plan was already placed for the redemption of mankind. But we find in, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, it says this. And I will put, God speaking to, to Satan and to the couple, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And I loved it because, man, there it was. You know, when it said uh, your seed, and he's talking about Satan, he's talking about the evil one, and her seed, and the S was capitalized. Because this is the first prophecy we have of a promise of a Savior who was coming. This is the first time we have a promise that a Redeemer was coming. And that Redeemer would defeat Satan and sin and give us victory over sin and death. Ultimately through the cross. Isn't that awesome? Way back in Genesis, when it first happened, God made a promise and said, You know, you, and he says this, you shall bruise his head. Yeah, I'm sorry. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You know, he's saying, Jesus, Jesus is going to defeat you, ultimately, Satan. And the best you can do is bruise his heel. You want to know why? He gave his life up on the cross, and three days later, he took it up. It was an uneven match from the get-go. Because Jesus Christ was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, so it goes on from there. So, so we have that promise from God. And then we advance a few hundred years, and we see Noah. And the world had gone to total wickedness. And the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of all the wickedness of the world, when Noah was around, he was a light. He was a light to a dark world. And it just seemed like God whispered, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And then we advance a few more hundred years and we go to Abraham. Abraham was a pagan. And the Bible simply says this. It wasn't that pagan that Abraham was such a great guy. It simply says this. That Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. That's all Abraham had going. He was a pagan. He, he didn't believe in God. And yet God called him and said, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to go to land that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless you. And multitudes of people and nations as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea shall be blessed by you. And Abraham simply believed God. And it seemed like God was whispering. He's coming. He's coming. Later on, a guy named Jacob was born. And Jacob to the Jacob, the 12 tribes were born. And how the 12 tribes, God didn't choose Joseph. Joseph was the one who obeyed God. Joseph was the one who went down to Egypt. And, and Joseph was used by God to, to sustain the children of Israel. But God didn't use him. He used old weak Judah. And promised that the Messiah would come from the lion of Judah. From the tribe of Judah. And in that weakness, it seemed like God was saying, he's coming. He's coming. And no, Moses sitting in the bloodline. But soon the children of Israel were delivered. And they were delivered by a man who said yes to God. And he was known as the deliverer of Israel. 
He set the example as he helped free the people of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. So Jesus Christ one day would be our deliverer from sin. And yes, it seemed like God was saying, he's coming. He's coming. And then I went and found Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute. You know, the one who believed God. And, and she's the one who said, yeah, now, you know, I know that your God's going to give you this city. But, but listen, listen, uh, when, when he comes, would, would you remember me? And, and the guy said, okay, if you won't tell the bad guys about us, then, then you will, we'll make sure you don't die. And she, you know, you hang this string out the window. And she hung the string out the window. And Rahab was saved. And crazily enough, a prostitute ends up in the lineage of Jesus. You know, you don't think, you know, how could God ever love me? How could God ever, ever forgive me? He took Rahab and not only forgave her, but made her one of the lineage. See, as you go through the lineage of Jesus, there she is listed there. And it seems like God was saying, there's hope for everyone because he's coming. He's coming. And then there's David. Oh, David, King David, the one who was prophesied that from his lineage, for sure, that's where the Messiah would come. And David was a man after God's own heart. And again, what an encouragement because he loved God, but he failed God. I mean, David had some real mess ups. Anybody here had any real mess ups? I mean, you love God, but you still managed to mess up. And, and God blessed David. And from his lineage, directed lineage, the Messiah would come. And it just seemed like God said, he's coming. He's coming. And then through the early prophets and the latter prophets, the prophets just seemed, kept saying. God was speaking to the prophets. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And then there was silence. Three hundred years, Ron, and God said nothing. And then after 300 years, after the prophet Malachi had spoken, 300 years later, when God spoke, he shouted. He shouted and said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So when the fullness of time was come, when, when the Roman Empire had built sufficient roads for the gospel to be carried, when, when the Greeks had provided what they called Conine Greek, the common man's language, a language where people could understand, when the language is in place, when the, when the roads were in place, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son for one purpose. To die. Now that's worth celebrating, folks. I am not against any of the traditions of Christmas, whether it be Santa Claus or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman. I'm telling you, if you want a, if you want a reason to celebrate, it's not a guy in a red suit. It is not, it is not a guy, a, a snowman who came to life. It is a man who became God. Put on flesh and dwelt among us and died for us. God sent for this son, born of a woman, the Virgin Mary. 
Isaiah put it this way in 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. You know, I can't get it all figured out. All I know is this, that that Christmas night, which, by the way, was probably in April. I mean, they're almost surely sure it was the springtime. I'm about ready to give the you give the society December 25th and we'll take April and have our own holiday. The true birth of Jesus. But I know this, that that night that when this child was born, in fact, really, when this child was conceived inside of Mary and then when he was physically born, he was God. He is God with us. God came down from heaven and lived among us. And, and it's so important, the virgin, don't ever listen. There are things that are negotiable, um, but not the essentials. And the virgin birth is one of those non-essentials. Anyone who says they don't believe in the virgin birth do not, does not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because through the virgin birth, Jesus was born without a sinful nature. And he lived those 33 years without sin. It's important that he was born of a virgin. And his dad, his earthly dad, Joseph, adopted him. But his father was not physical. His father was spiritual. His father was God the Father. And then he knows he was born under the law. In other words, he was born with all the constraints of the law. The, the law had all these, if you want to be righteous, this is it. And have you figured out yet you haven't done it? Have you figured out yet that there's none righteous, no, not one? None of us has kept this law. And yet the very demands of the law were placed on Jesus Christ from day one. And he never sinned. He was born under the law, but he never violated the law. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 33 years he walked the earth and never, never, never sinned. And look, listen, listen, listen. Just let these words wash over you. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem, to buy back, to atone for, to pay the price, to buy the slave off the slave block, to redeem those who are under the law. Law. Here, all of us, we were born in the law. And as I just said, we can't keep the law. We never could keep the law. The law was designed to point us to our sin and say, you are a sinner. That's what the law is all about. God's word declares, you are, I am righteous and you are not. And because of that condemnation of the law, we were destined to be separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. And Jesus Christ came. And he who had no sin became sin that we might become the righteous of God. In other words, he died on the cross to, to one, to take the wrath of God, to atone for our sin, to pay for our sin because we could not. He did what no other man could do, and that is die for sin. And he did it for you, Ron. He did it for you, Joe. He did it for you, John, back there. Hey, Wayne, he did it for you. Linda, he did it for you. Isn't that great? Aren't you, aren't you kind of impressed when someone does something for you? You know, they hold the door open at the store. It's that kind of time of the year, you know, when they open the door and hold it open. You say, thank you so much for doing that. When your husband actually picks up his own dirty clothes. Shocking. Isn't it nice when things, 
Why, why don't we just get overwhelmed with the idea that Jesus did dramatically what we can never do for ourselves? And that's pay for our sin. Incredible. He redeemed us. He made the opportunity, the price was paid, that no matter how big or how small of a sinner we think we are, one violation of the law, Jesus, if you, Jesus said you're guilty, if you violate one part of the law, you violate all the law. You know, on your, on your best day, excuse me, you are a dirty, rotten sinner. On your best day, on your day when you got your deodorant on and got your best suit on and came to the house of God without Jesus Christ, you're just a dirty, rotten sinner. That's what it was. And he redeemed us. By the way, if you start viewing yourself, now don't get, don't go too far with that so you think I'm nothing but dirt and trash because you're more than that to Jesus. You need to remember what God saved you from. Keep you a little more humble. Keep you a little more humble. He came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. I love that. You know, we, you know, in John chapter 3, we hear the story of Nicodemus where Jesus said you must be born again. And the other analogy of entering the family of God is the adoption of sons. This is so cool. I, I, read, I read that under Roman law, adoption was stronger than birth. In other words, we could disown Rebecca, okay? But if we had adopted one of the other ones, I could not unadopt. I could disown my children, but I could never disown someone who was adopted. Adoption was stronger than natural birth. And we had been born into the family of God. And we've been adopted in the family of God. But here's what I want you to take home. We were adopted as sons. In other words, the moment you came into the family of God, the moment you were born again, God didn't say, okay, when you've proven yourself, I'll give you the privileges of sonship. The moment in faith you trusted Jesus Christ through God's grace, you had all the rights and privileges of Billy Graham. You had all the rights and privileges of Jerry Falwell, Spurgeon, whoever it might be. When you are born and adopted in the family, you come in that sense. You come into the family of God as an adult son. You have the right to go boldly to the throne of grace. You have the right to come boldly to your father. Because you are. Isn't that just great? How incredible. How cool that God thought of that. He didn't say, you got, you know, remember the old Sunday school adage? Come three weeks and we'll roll you. Remember that? You know, you know, you're not good for three weeks. If you come three weeks, we'll talk. Aren't you glad God didn't do that? That God just said, you're, you know, once you trust my son, experience my grace, you're in. With all the rights and privileges. And then the scripture that I just learned to love so much. He sent his, um, because you are sons, he says, because you are sons, 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Because you are sons, God sent his Holy Spirit uh, of a son into your heart. That happened when you were born again. You received the Holy Spirit. That wonderful helper. That wonderful comforter. That wonderful power source. Lives within us. He sends to our hearts crying. Abba Father. And I really appreciate it. I never forgot what David said. We were sitting in the office one day. And you know. I, I love to say how that means. Daddy. Father. It's a real intimate term. But he was right. You know. There, there's really not a good word. The, the closest thing we have in English. To that Greek word is daddy. It's not a direct translation. But there's not an English word. Other than daddy that we can come up with. 
The point is, there's an intimacy with God that only his children can have. Come on. Someone say, man, what a wonderful gift that is. That we have intimacy with God, our Father. And the closest word is that word, Daddy, of intimacy and love and closeness. And then it goes on and says this. So you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave, Donna, to sin. You're no longer a slave to self. You are you're no longer a slave to Satan. See, that's what happened to Jesse Taylor. I'd lean over Jesse. Got a pen? We're putting this in the sermon. Jesse Taylor. He was a, he wasn't, I don't think he was related. It sounds like some of my relatives, but I don't think it was him. <laughs> he was a drunk, an abuser. And one day he met Jesus. And this time when Jesse Taylor went under, he went under for the Lord. Because he was no longer a slave of sin, no longer a slave of self, no longer a slave of the evil one. He was instead a son. Son, I know that's a fictional song about a fictional man, but it's our story. It's our story. We were slaves and then we became sons. And by the way, just, just for free, you are a slave, but you're a bond slave. A bond slave is someone who willfully stays with the master. Who voluntarily stays with the master. They say it's been demonstrated where the slave would get an awl driven through his ear. An A-W-L. A nail driven through his ear. And that was a sign that he was a slave. But he was a bond slave. That his time of tenure was up. And he voluntarily stayed with the father. And we voluntarily serve God. It's not out of duty. It's not out of payment for salvation. You can't pay for it. But we are bond slaves. We love God. We so we're no longer a slave, but a son. And then if a son, then an heir through God. An inheritor through God. Let me close with this wonderful scripture. And I won't read all of it, but I'll sure read part of it. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And again, it's part of that great story that we tell. It's, it's part of that great missions call. It's part of the great picture of, of what every church should be about. In Revelation 7, 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And we all say, Amen. And that's why we should celebrate Christmas, folks. That's why. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a wonderful, wonderful song that is. So tonight, here's what we want to do. Again, do keep out of your mind that picture of giving God something back or even observing the table as part of your salvation or as part of your earning God's favor because you can't do that. But tonight, what way would you like to say thank you, God? 
What is something that you'd like, something that you would like to say, thank you, God? You, it may be a testimony. Perhaps that's right. Because, see, even acknowledging something God's done for you, perhaps your salvation, is a gift back to Him. What we're going to do next Sunday night is gifts back to Him. So maybe you want to write a testimony, thanks. Maybe you don't want to just write in your heart and leave your card blank and fold it over and bring it. That's all right, because God knows your heart. But what is it? Is there something that God might speak into your heart that as you enter 2014, that God, I'd like to give this as a gift to you. This as a gift to you. It may be a surrender to a mission trip. It may be surrender to helping our preschool department where we still need help. We still need guys driving a van. You may make a commitment. Not for a lifetime, but for a year. And say, you know what? I'm going to get up early one Sunday a month. I'm going to get up early so some of our senior adults can come to church. I'll drive the van. It's a good, good thing. What is it you like to say thank you to God? So we're going to have a... Dave, are we going to do a video? Yeah, okay. So we're going to do a video. And what's going to happen is this. I'm going to sit down. And as you feel led and as you're ready, our deacons, guys, if you'll come forward, I'll go and have the blessing for the um, elements right now. And uh, we'll do that part. And then, um, as you feel led, you come on forward, lay your cards at the altar, go to the outside, get your elements, then go down the side aisles back this way, come in and have your seat. And after we've done all that, then we will uh, observe the Lord's Supper together. Sound good? All right, let's do that. Let's pray. Well, Father, wow, thank you so much. Thank you that in the fullness of time, thank you that through the ages you have whispered, He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And when it's just the right time, when everything was in place that you wanted in place, it happened. After 300 years of silence, it happened. And you shouted from heaven, it's time. And Christ was born. And God, we acknowledge that we are so unworthy of that love. And we understand it is all about your incredible grace. There's nothing we could do. Nothing we could do to merit this. It is strictly your unmerited favor. But tonight we want to say we love you. We want to say we love you. So speak to our hearts in ways that we might do that. And then, Father, we pray your blessing on the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this ordinance of the church. We don't come tonight out of ritual that we have to do it. We come willingly to do it. And would you bless that bread and... As we taste that bread tonight in our mouth, may we remember that you took our place on the cross. And Father, as we taste the juice, the fruit of the vine, remind us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no taking away of sin. And we remember your sacrifice, that we can be redeemed. Thanks, God. And Jesus, we certainly and gladly pray this in your name. Amen.